The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors. We'd like to welcome you to another edition of Spotlight on Long Island Schools on 103.9 LI News Radio. And catch us out on that LI News Radio app so you can take Spotlight on Long Island Schools wherever you go. And Spotlight on Long Island Schools is brought to you by the Nassau Suffolk School Boards Association, serving Long Island school boards since 1959. Thanks for tuning in each and every week to hear about some of the great programming and some amazing things that our students are doing in schools across Long Island. We are very spoiled here with a lot of good school districts. And this week in our spotlight is no different. It's the South Country School District is in our spotlight. They are a K-12 system located in southeastern Brookhaven town in Suffolk County, right along the shoreline there on the south shore of Long Island. And they have a fairly new superintendent. He's not brand new. He's been around for a couple of years, but we want to welcome him to Spotlight on Long Island Schools to tell us everything that's going on in South Country. So, Mr. Antonio Santana, welcome to Spotlight on Long Island Schools. And I know we go by Tony. So, Tony, how are things in South Country? Thank you for having me, uh, Mr. Vecchio. And I'll call you Bob. Things are going great. You know, it's um, it's only my I'm only in my second year of my tenure here in South Country. You know, one of the things that attracted me to this community was its diversity, and a lot of the programs that had already been established you know, long before I arrived here just were very uh, attractive to me and appealing to me. And I haven't been disappointed. You know, I think we do a lot of great things in terms of our work with our students. Uh, with our community. We do have the benefit of having a, a very uh, diverse uh, student population, uh, just in terms of you know where they're coming from socioeconomically, in terms of the various backgrounds and ethnicities that we have and that we celebrate in our district. Uh, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is the fact that it's something that we don't shy away from. We actually celebrate our diversity. We're appreciative of, of it. And you know I love to just be a part of this, this dynamic. But yeah, in terms, I don't know where to begin. You know, we can always talk about our, our civics programs, uh, which we're really proud about, our dual language programs that we have in our schools that is expanding as kids move up into grade levels. Obviously, we have a great athletic program, music program. Yeah, well, listen, you got a lot to be proud of over there, uh, South Country. I'm your neighbor just to the east. And, and folks know I sat on a board at William Floyd for many years. So, you know, you just right right across the way there uh let's let's start you know diversity right and and your community like uh my community again you have tremendous assets with the diversity but some of our harder working communities were really hit hard during the pandemic and and since our reopening and it's been a couple of years and you kind of came in you know right after that as a superintendent after being a high school principal so you know a lot of folks hear about the achievement gaps and and how to make up for the learning loss so let's talk about what you guys have been doing there at country and and where you're at yeah that's very real so um you know nobody likes to sort of be on sort of targeted lists when i first arrived in south country three of our schools are actually uh listed as targeted schools for improvement um thus far two of those schools have moved off the list through the good work of their uh teaching staff and students and administration we currently have one school that's uh deemed school in need of additional targeted support and improvement um, and basically it boils down to assessment scores. And so when you look at the learning loss that's just attributed to the, uh, the pandemic, just in the last year, we've already sort of made strides to sort of match where we were at prior to the pandemic. That's not to say that we're at all satisfied with where we're at. It's going to be continual work. And I don't think any of us will ever be satisfied because there is no ceiling. You know, it's uh, one of my uh, peers always said that the uh, in, in the race to excellence, there is no finish line. And you may know who that is. I do. Um, it's, yes. And it's a great line. So true. 
It's a fantastic line. You know, and I think sometimes there's context to to sort of numbers. You know, it's um, certainly when you're not ranked in the upper top 10% or 20% of schools in Suffolk County, it certainly doesn't feel good. Uh, but behind every number is context. And there is uh, things that affect us adversely, like, you know, participation rates in schools, um, whether or not the data is accurate. You know, you got to remember a lot of this data is sort of taken as a snapshot for elementary schools. The testing occurs over a handful of days. If you look at Regents data from high school students, it's one day in the school year which in my opinion is not representative of, of the good work that's happening in the district. And also you, you start thinking about or appreciating, you know, what are these sort of uh, labels or rankings? What do they do in terms of how people perceive themselves? So what does it say about our kids? What does it say about our teachers? And that's not to say that our, our students or teachers aren't working hard. I think my approach is that we have to sort of work differently and we have to sort of adjust with the times. And what students need and what uh, staff needs these days, it's entirely different than it was just a couple of years ago. To say we haven't been adversely affected or, or changed by the pandemic is sort of a, a misstatement. We all have. Part of it is the socialization. Um, the fact that we're isolated for a couple of years uh, certainly um, had an effect on our youngest learners. And also, when we navigated the pandemic, and I wasn't here during those times, but I can almost say this pretty universally, you know, the accountability and expectations were different. They had to be different for students and staff, because how do you manage a school district in a virtual world? And, and virtual learning, as a fantastic as a resource as it may be, is not ideal learning, at least in my opinion. So I think we need to start looking at, number one, how do we sort of um, return to sort of that perseverance that we need to have to push through adversity, through work, the appreciation that, you know, your work, you know, there is a, a sort of a, a consequence to your work ethic, the harder you work, the better consequences you're going to have. Uh, I think some of that was lost uh, during the pandemic, uh, just in, in terms of how schools are structured. We have to look at how we measure students. You know, right now, uh, we've added literacy coaches. Uh, we've tried to maintain small class sizes. We have an MTSS plan. That's a multi-tiered uh, systems of supports. And we also have to incorporate social emotional learning in our instructional practices. It's got to be embedded and explicitly taught because a lot of the challenges we have are, are students just not feeling comfortable or not feeling safe social emotionally. And so you have to address those concerns, you know, before you, you can even speak to, you know, reading and math, which is basically sort of the, uh, you know, what we, we sort of um, focus on. But I think it's multi-layered, And I think the approach, number one, you have to create a, a school environment where both students and staff feel comfortable and safe. Uh, and this is where our diversity, inclusion, and uh, equity comes in. And then you have to look at sort of the mechanisms by which we provide instruction. And um, right now, there's going to be a big push for the uh, science of reading that we're looking at. And I don't think there's one good approach in, in terms of resolving these sort of achievement gaps. You got to look at it holistically and, and comprehensively. Um, and certainly, you have to empower um, all of your stakeholders to, to play a, a role in, in, the, in, in making things better. You know, and, and I've heard you speak several times and, and I just think your energy and your perspective and, and your own personal background brings so much to the table. You know, it's just a, a nice, refreshing dose of reality as to your approach. And, you know, people have a lot of misconceptions about social and emotional learning. You know, it's it's become part of this national political argument and everything else. Dispel some of the myths in our last couple of minutes here about social emotional learning what it is and really what it isn't so the best example i was once told was when a child doesn't know how to behave and i'm oversimplifying it we tend to respond with uh consequences or, or take a punitive approach if a kid doesn't know the pythagorean theorem in math we don't punish them we try to teach it reteach it and add additional supports 
So for me, like we just can't take for granted that kids just know what they should be doing, what's appropriate. We have to teach it. We have to be explicit about it and we have to model it. And one of the things we've learned in, in that regard is that traditional approaches just don't work anymore. When I was a young man sitting in a public school, we were basically programmed to sit quietly, not raise our voices. And the mark of a good classroom was a silent classroom. We're shifting away from that now where we want students to advocate for themselves. We want them to have a say, and we have to treat them differently. We have to treat them with support. And so when a child makes a poor choice, you know, how do you educate them to prevent the child from, you know, making that same choice moving forward? It's the recidivism, so a word I can't get out of my mouth, and we're trying to avoid. And so we need to be explicit in the way we instruct kids. And also the way kids are being measured has changed. You know, when I first started teaching, it was drill and kill. Success was based on simple recall. If you knew the steps of mitosis, you're doing well in the living environment or biology. Now what we want to sort of instill in kids are skills, critical thinking skills, and those things that are going to help make them better thinkers so they are more successfully in a more generalized sense. Well, we are speaking with the superintendent of schools for the South Country School District, Mr. Antonio Santana, and he's talking about some of the initiatives he's put in place in his school district to deal with some of the achievement uh, gaps and some of the learning losses post-pandemic and celebrating the diversity of his school district and treating it as the asset that it is. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about how he gets kids engaged in his district, particularly through a civics program that they've instituted, some of the DEI things. And listen, Mr. Santana is famous in South Country for the selfie with the superintendent of schools. And it's really just increased morale and people get excited. I even got excited getting a selfie with the superintendent from South Country the first time we hung out a little bit. You listen to Spotlight on Long Island Schools on 103.9 LA News Radio. Check out our Facebook page, Spotlight on Long Island Schools. That's your place to suggest a program, club, or activity that your students are involved in. And just like South Country, your school district may be the next one right here in our Spotlight. We'll continue our conversation with the Clippers and the Superintendent of Schools from the South Country School District right after this. We'd like to welcome you back to Spotlight on Long Island Schools on 103.9 LI News Radio. And you hear us out on that LI News Radio app so you can take us wherever you go. Spotlight on Long Island Schools is brought to you by this Nassau Suffolk School Boards Association, serving Long Island School Boards since 1959. Bob Vecchio, continuing our conversation with the superintendent of schools for the South Country School District, the home of the Clippers, Mr. Antonio Santana. Year number two as a superintendent, but I'll tell you, he's made a big difference in a very short period of time. And, you know, Tony, I, I was... Again, I, I said before the break, I was following you on social media and, and the selfie with the superintendent and all the excitement and energy of the kids wanting to get their pictures with you. And you, you just seem to connect with kids on, on a real positive way, in a real positive way. And it's certainly made a difference in your district. Let's talk about your civics program, because it's all about engaging kids, right, and getting them hooked. Because if they're hooked and they're bought into something, no matter what it is, whether it's sports, arts, music, a special club, robotics, civics, that's how you get the buy-in for the rest of the things that are required. And and that's how students begin to succeed. So talk to us about your civics engagement program. So over 90% of um, our students graduate with a seal of civic readiness, which basically there's criteria that is established for you to get that credential. The idea behind it is, you know, we have a whole bunch of uh, social media activists, people who simply like 
posts and they feel like they're being a part of some sort of movement when in fact they're really doing very little. And the point of our civics education is to teach uh, students the mechanisms by which they can elicit change. Um, because the best way to sort of predict the future is to create it. And people seldom realize how much power they actually have. So what we do is we have students identify um, topics that are important to them. We start this as, as early as um, our, with our seventh graders who do presentations. We'll invite elected officials to some of our presentations. And the idea is the class as a whole identifies a concern or issue that sort of affects all of them. And they come to consensus on something they want to work on. Then they research the topic. Part of that research is included it me, uh, includes the, deciding or identifying who the decision makers are. Who do we need to make an appeal to in order for us to sort of uh, work towards a change you want to see in the future? And then they put together their research. They reach out to decision makers. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's the elected official. And they present their case. What I've loved about the students here, our Clippers, is almost all of their presentations have been altruistic. In other words, they lobbied for some uh, markings at one of our cross sections that was very dangerous for students who might be visually impaired. Um, and that change was actually enacted um, and some of those uh, markings were done. They talked about having more diverse uh, cafeteria options for our diverse population. They talked about um, guns and gun violence. They talked about racism, which is not an easy topic to talk about. But we empower kids to talk about it in a very productive uh, sort of uh, way um, because there's so much information out there. And I feel like we're so polarized. And when we talk about um, empowering kids to have voices, anytime you sit down and listen to your, their presentations, it is really inspiring because it's objective. It, it's sort of community based. And you see, you know, a diverse group of kids all working towards the same end, which is what I think is most fantastic about it. But what's most important is learning the appropriate mechanisms to elicit change. And yeah, go out and vote. Um, contact your, your elected officials. Uh, be a voice and, and, and deliver that sort of message in an appropriate manner. You know, there's too much hate. There's too much tribalism, I feel. You know, one of the benefits of being a superintendent is that I'm politically neutral. I'm here to service my entire community. Um, I'm here to work with any elected official that's holding a seat. And so that's a very empowerful, uh, empowering sort of position to be in because it allows you to be um, objective. And certainly we want to be positive. And um, even when we talk about our equity uh, initiatives or in inclusivity, the idea is not to make anybody feel bad. The idea is to give everybody a sense of belonging. And, you know, when I talk about my story, you know, I grew up in poverty. Um, I grew up with a son of an immigrant mom who to this day doesn't speak English. Um, no father in my life. But I love my experience. I feel fortunate to have had it because it helps me better serve my community. And it gives me sort of insights to some of the plights that some of our students may have. And my American story is a happy story. And that's not to say that I've had experiences that have not been positive in my life or that have been negative, but both can be true. You can go through some things and still love, have a love for the country. And I think that's what I try to promote in that um, America is a great place. And sometimes we have to engage in uncomfortable conversations in order for us to see progress. Um, and I think some of our, you know, we accomplish that through our civics presentations, especially when kids talk about things that really can touch a nerve like racism. Yeah, I mean, these are heady subjects. And, you know, you said something that kind of resonated with me that even through some unpleasant experiences, you, you, you still love your country and you had the opportunity to learn something too. each time, whether it was pleasant or unpleasant. There was a learning moment there. You know, right. obviously, we'd love to learn in a more pleasant environment, but sometimes you learn a lot more when you're going through some of the challenges and difficult times. Right. 
And guess what? I owe my career to the kindness of other people. And that's why I'm such a promoter of kindness and, and being positive because there have been plenty of people of multiple backgrounds that have helped me out along the way. And so when we talk about things, I think we have to be very careful, careful about categorizing groups of people into these like, you know, really narrow categories. I always love, you know, the example I love giving is when we talk about racism in schools, the idea is not to say, you know, America is evil. Racism is, is bad. And I think we could all agree on that. But when you're sitting in a classroom and you have kids from diverse backgrounds, you have to appreciate how these stories impact them. If you're an African-American child, how does it feel to learn about slavery and some of the heritage or the legacy of slavery in this country? If you're a white or a Caucasian student, how does it make you feel sitting in that classroom when you hear some of these stories? And what I say to my teachers and my community is this. The kids sitting in our classrooms have no stake in our history, but they have a stake in our future. And so this is where we have to learn how to sort of talk about these things, love each other. You know, again, the fact that I grew up in the housing projects in poverty with an illiterate mother and I'm a superintendent of schools speaks to the American dream. And it speaks to the generosity of people who are not just like me, but people who are different, who, who so promise in me, who helped me along the way. And I think as long as we're able to talk about these things and, and create an environment where everybody feels comfortable enough to express their experiences, I think we'll accomplish a lot. Great. Tony, what's your vision for the future with South Country with you at the helm? I really want to start having people talk about, you know, the many great things that we accomplish. I certainly have a vision for improving our, our sort of academic achievement. Certainly, uh, I would love to institute some more CTE programs in our district. I would love to have a television program and sort of become a little bit more contemporary. But ultimately, I think a part of my uh, sort of uh, presence on social media is um, to really have people really feel good about our school district because there's a lot to be proud of, a lot. And that's not to say that we don't have our challenges. There's not to say there's a lot of work that has to be done, but nothing is more rewarding than meeting a hard challenge. And I think we've been doing that. And, you know, you brought up the selfies with the superintendent. Um, you know, a part of that is it's not self-promotion. Nope. It's You're celebrating the kids that are all around you. Yeah. And they're fantastic. And, and I love being around them. That's the best part of my job is the interactions I have with students. And I was somewhat fearful that in this position, you know, it would minimize my contact time with students. You know, I was always a building administrator. I was always in the mix. So I make it a point to really be visible, to interact with students. Um, last year, for example, for College and Career Week, I spoke to every student K-12 through various assembly programs. Um, so they all recognize me and they all know I'm approachable and I'm there and I, and, and I really do love them. It's not fake. It's um, and sometimes kids make bad choices, but you got to, you know, sort of uh, stay the course, give them that love of support because, um, you know, it's really important. And that's what's going to be most impactful. And what is the greatest asset about your team, uh, everybody that works in your buildings that you would want folks to know about? I love that we have diversity of thought. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk about my governance team and my school boards. And, you know, this is a, a NISBA program. I love that we have diversity of, of thought and that we're able to come together for the common good. And I, and I always say this. I wish we could model this for the rest of the country. Because ultimately, we all want the same things. We want our kids to flourish. We want our kids to feel safe. And we want our kids to feel like each has an equal stake at making a difference. And if there's one last thing you want the community to know about South Country that they may not be aware of, what would that be? Wow, there's so much. I would say this, that um, our community is beautiful. It really is. And our schools are fantastic. And when you walk around the schools, 
Um, it's amazing uh, the positive vibe that you'll feel and the love you feel from all of our stakeholders, whether it's staff, whether it's our kids. Um, I just love walking around each of our buildings and I'm including our pre-K from our youngest learners to our high school seniors. Um, I just came back from a ski trip. That's surprising with our high school outdoors club. Um, and that was fantastic. So if um, I think what's going to be most surprising is just how kind our students are and how amazing they are and how they give me an optimistic look for our future. Well, I've really enjoyed speaking with the superintendent of schools from the South Country School District, Mr. Antonio Santana. And we'll have your district back on and we'll talk with some of your kids, maybe in the civics program, about what they're up to in their future. You've been listening to Spotlight on Long Island Schools on 103.9 LI News Radio. Again, catch us out on that LI News Radio app. And don't forget to go to our Facebook page. And that's your place to suggest a program club or activity that your district's involved in. And just like South Country, home of the Clippers, your district may be the next one right here in our spotlight. Till we talk again, be kind, be well, and stay safe. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.